Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But before we get there, let's review some things after we pray. Our Father, we thank you for the privilege of studying your word together. We look to you for revelation knowledge to flow. We look to your spirit to lead us and guide us into all truth and to enlarge our capacity to receive revelation, knowledge, wisdom, understanding, and ability of all things that pertain to life and godliness. As an act of our will, we yield ourselves to you. Our ears are attentive. Our hearts are receptive. Our minds are open. We will receive and we'll walk as doers of your word and not hearers only. We thank you for utterance in the Holy Ghost to boldly proclaim the truth and the power of the Spirit that our faith would stand not in the wisdom of men, but in the power of the living God in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to look at verses 1 through 5. But first of all, let me once again reiterate, and I will continue doing this. Why? Because it is what is needful. If it's what we need, then we need to hear it over and over and over and over and over again. Did you know that? Do you know that we are creatures of habit? And do you know that for us to develop habits, break old habits and develop new habits, it takes time. We don't want to break away from the things that we, you know, used to do. That's why change is hard in the life of a Christian. Did you know that? Now, we recently added a room onto our house. And in our previous dining room, little dinette type thing, we had a chandelier hanging down. And once we took the table from beneath the chandelier and put it in the other room that we added on to, well, the chandelier still hung until it was moved. It hung there for many days. And, of course, you just walk right in and just smack your head right on it. You ever do that? Because the table's not there anymore. And then, you know, you're not thinking, and so you just walk, boom, and smack your head right on it. You know? And so we would just do that every single day till finally it hit us. We changed and started walking into the room and go like this, you know, around it. And we'd go right around it all the time, just like that. And so finally we got to the point that we were able to take the chandelier out of that room and put it in the other room. And now we start walking in that room with no chandelier going like this. Looking like, you know, crazy people because there's nothing there. But we got into the habit of walking into that particular room and doing that. So we didn't smack our head on it. And finally, we broke that habit and start walking in a room like a normal person anymore. We are creatures of habit. And we do things and do things and do things and get used to doing those things until we unconsciously continue doing those things. And that's why change is hard. And can I say it this way? If we don't do anything to change, we're not going to change. Yes, we've been born again. Yes, we've been washed in the blood. And yes, we want more of God, but you know what? Unless we do something to initiate change in our lives, we'll not change. Oh, it's easy to quote the scripture. We're changed from glory into glory, even as by the Spirit of God. But did you notice that that's only as we look into the perfect law of liberty? Beholding ourselves as in a mirror and seeing the glory of God... And then desiring the glory of God and desiring more of God and desiring change in our lives. Then 
as we apply ourselves in these things, we'll begin to change. But until we do that, beloved, all we have is a head full of knowledge. Come on, say amen. All we have is a head full of knowledge. Why? Because we're creatures of habit. And we don't like change. How many of you know that if there's no pain, there's not going to be any gain in our lives? And that's true physically, and that's true mentally, and that's also true spiritually. Did you know that? Oh, we have a big confession and a great confession. Now, Lord, I present myself to you. I give you my body and faculty members. I present them to you as instruments of righteousness and tools in your hand so that you can use me as a vessel of honor and your purpose and your will upon this earth. All sounds good, doesn't it? But when he shines the floodlight on our faults and failures and exposes them and you realize in order for him to use me that way, I've got to stop this and do this. And it's like, hmm. How many of you, the first thing when you get in the morning, get up out of, out of your bed in the morning, the first thing you do is say, I want to fast and pray today. Huh? Come on now. Is that the first thing you do? You jump out of bed and say, oh, I can't wait to fast and pray. No food today. Sounds great. Sounds like a good time in Jesus. You know, if, if it took fasting and prayer to, to produce change in our lives, it wouldn't change very much. And that sometimes is the case, that we have to do something to break old habits. And that's why we go into fasting and prayer, so that we can establish new habits. And that causes change. This is just the introduction. Do you have your still-toed shoes on? How many of you want to grow in God? Well, look, no pain, no gain, no growth and development. Because there are some things that will be exposed in our lives that we're not going to like to hear about. Did you know that? You know that thing that we have talked about dealing with for so many years and we've not dealt with yet in our lives? That's what we're talking about. That's what we're referring to. And you know what? Sometimes it's painful to have things pointed out in our lives that make us unattractive to God and unattractive to each other. Did you know that? Husbands and wives sitting together looking at each other saying, Hmm. Honey, tell me some things about myself that will make me a better Christian. Do you really want to know? Do you really want to know? And she pulls out that list. Man, that's longer than your list of credit cards. And that thing just hanging, dangling down there. And I mean, she's got every single one of them marked. And honey, would you do me the same favor? Oh, yes, I'll make a new one. You know, he, he does it for her. Oh, yes, we say we want to change. We say we want to grow. We say we want more, to, more of God. We say all these right things. Things that are meaningful at the moment. But when we find out the pain that it involves and the sacrifice and the surrender and all the energies that have to be put forth, then we kind of say, well, you know, I'm kind of satisfied where I'm at as a Christian. Come on now. Say amen or say oh me. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> At least she's the only honest one in the bunch. I mean, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Glory. I knew it'd be a good night tonight. 
Oh, Lord. We need times of refreshing like this. You know that. Oh, hallelujah. Well, the Christian life offers us, each and every one of us, unlimited potential. Unlimited. What about this one? All things are possible to him that believeth. Ask what ye will, it shall be done unto you. No weapon formed against you will prosper. They'll bury you up in their hands unless you dash your foot against a stone. With long life will I satisfy you and show you my salvation. I'll forgive all your iniquities. I'll heal all your diseases. I'll redeem your life from destruction and crown you with loving kindness and tender mercies. I'll provide everything you need to be a success in the realm of life. Unlimited potential. Peace of mind. A tranquil state. Harmony with God in spirit and soul. But you know what, beloved? It's not automatically or magically obtained. Although those blessings are offered, they're provided, they're there, they're obtainable, they're not automatically obtained. We don't wave magical wands. We don't spout off scriptures and quote scriptures and think that by doing those things or answering altar calls or looking for an anointed man of God, that instantaneously through some you know, these pro- process, through this process, that all of a sudden everything's going to happen. Change will occur in our lives just like that. And you know, for the most part, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for that instant something. We're looking for these things that we've heard about, these things that we know are true, to happen Magically. Automatically. That's what we're looking for. And I believe that's a flaw in our mentality. I believe that. And there are many in Christendom, that are, especially in the faith movement, that are like that. That's a flaw in our mentality. Here we are thinking, yeah, all these things are true. Now, don't get me wrong. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. They are all true and they're all obtainable. But they're not magically obtained. They're not automatically obtained. The Bible says that the slothful man is not going to get it. He's a fool. God does not reward slothfulness. God will never be mocked. What a man sows is what he reaps. We want to sow wrong and, and do wrong and all that and sow the wrong words and sow the wrong everything, actions and motives and attitudes throughout the most part of our lives and Christian experience that all of a sudden when the time of crisis comes, quote that scripture and have change occur. Just like that. And beloved, that's not it. That is not what we teach here from this pulpit. That's absolutely not true. What we sow is what we reap, is what we teach and what is true. In other words, we need to do something about not just learning the principles of God's Word, but applying them to our lives. And we see here in Proverbs 2 verse 1, My son... If you will receive my words, hide my commandments with you, that you incline your ear. Underline these words here. Receive, in verse 2, or verse 1 rather, receive, in verse 1 also, hide, receive, hide. These are things that we are to do. Verse 2, incline, circle that or underline it. Notice the latter part. Apply thine heart. Look at verse 3. Christ. After knowledge, and liftest up thy voice, seekest in verse 4, searchest in verse 4, then, then, 
Then, after all that, then. Look at all those things that we're to do. We're to receive, we're to hide, we're to incline, we're to apply, we're to cry, we're to lift up, we're to seek, search, then. Did you see that? Do you see all that? That says a lot, doesn't it? I said, that says a lot. That's talking about diligence, is it not? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's talking about diligence. See, the life of faith is when the heart of a man cries out. For what? Reality with God. I want these things that have been made available to me. But I am also willing to do what is necessary to obtain them. And experience them as realities in my life. We want them. But we have a part to play. There's a two-fold action revealed to us in Scripture. It's like checkers. God makes a move, we make a move. God makes a move, we make a move. God moves and we move. There's action on the part of God. There's action on the part of the believer. God moved into the sense realm in the person of Jesus Christ for what purpose? To seek, to find, to save. He came to seek and save that which was lost so that we can be found. So God made His move. He moved into the sense realm in which we live to seek and save that which was lost. We responded to that move by opening up our lives to Christ, accepting Him as Savior and Lord. That was our move. God made another move in recreating our human spirit. Now we're born again people. Thank God for the new birth. Can you say amen? But now... That's not the end of it. So many want to believe that that's the end of my Christian experience. I've been born again. I'm a child of God. And that satisfies me. I'm on my way to heaven. But that's not what God says. And that's not what God wants. Once we've been born of God, we have the life of Christ. He wants Christ to be formed in us. Isn't that true? And He wants us to be changed from glory to glory by the Spirit of God. But that action does not take place until we start making a move toward God. Do you know that? We have to make our move, and this is that move. He is saying here that the heart of a man must begin to cry out after reality with God. We must begin to cry out for change. Otherwise, we're not going to change. Because we're creatures of habit, and we've been taught wrong things. Why do you think it takes time for a person who is saved, who has the holiness of God imparted to his spirit, to become sanctified? Because he's been taught to do the wrong thing. Now that he's a child of God, some things will begin to disappear, but not all things. And until that person makes a conscious effort and does his or her part to do what is necessary to experience change, change will not take place. They'll all go on being the same type of person, with the same type of attitude, with the same type of motive, with the same type of arrogance, with the same type of pride. Did you know that? As they once had before. With the same bad habits and the same everything else. Unless something is done, unless action takes place on the part of the believer, that person must begin to do what? Now listen to what I said first. God began to move in this realm, in the sense realm, to seek us, to find us out. You know what? This is our action right now. We have to move in the spirit realm. You ready for this? We have got to make our move. 
We have got to move into the spirit realm. See? God moved into the sense realm so that we can move into the spirit realm. He wants us to begin to move in the realm of the spirit. To begin to find the knowledge of God, which is revelation knowledge, which is spiritual knowledge. It is spiritual perception. He wants us to begin in that realm to find reality with God himself. To move into that spiritual realm. So that we can grow spiritually and develop spiritually. And beloved, I guarantee you this. If you do nothing, if I do nothing to experience change, we'll go on being carnal Christians for the rest of our days upon this earth. Are you aware of that? I mean, if you're consciously aware of that, I want you to say amen. If we don't do anything, if we don't put forth the, the energy and the effort that is necessary to change, those things that, that hinder us today will still be hindering us ten years from today. Those things that hinder us Today, right now, unless we do something about change, then they'll continue to hinder us even 10 years from now. Because God does not move apart from our action until we begin to cry out after knowledge, until we begin to cry out for change, until we begin to humble ourselves before him, recognizing our own inability to do this in our own lives. He is not going to do anything about changing us. But when we begin to humble ourselves before Him, recognizing our need for change, beloved, then and only then will He begin to move upon us in our lives to cause change to take place. These things do not happen automatically. Sometimes we'll find ourselves pursuing other ways to have this change. Sometimes if we just be honest with ourselves, when we seek counsel, we don't realize what we're seeking. We're seeking change for our own lives. Did you know that? Remember we talked about last Sunday morning, if you were here, we talked about that man who brought his son to, to the disciples. And the nine disciples could not cast the devil out. Jesus came down from the mountain with the other three. And Jesus went and, and saw the man and, and asked the man what the problem was. The man says, look, my son, he's been tormented by this devil trying to kill himself and all these different things. He looked at the devil. He looked at his son and his need. He looked at his disciples. They couldn't help. They were anointed men of God. And finally he looks at Jesus and says, there's anything you can do. And finally Jesus set the man straight. He tells the fellow, he said, look, you're looking to the devil that's tormenting your son. You're looking to your son and his dilemma and his suffering. You're looking to my disciples who are anointed, who have been my understudies and they couldn't help you. You're looking to me to see what I can do for you. Do you ever stop and think that there's a problem with you? Do you ever stop and think that you need to change yourself? And that then you'd be helped? And finally, he got his eyes off of all the other things, and he got his eyes focused on his own need for change. And he said, if it's not what I can do, it's not what they can do, and it's not what the devil's doing, and it's not the suffering of your son. If thou canst believe, then all things are possible to him that believeth. You talk about setting the, the, there are no limits. Unlimited potentials, what he said, but it's based on you. If thou canst believe, all things are possible on him living. And finally, the guy got it together. And he said, Oh, dear Lord, it's not all this out here. It's not what the devil's doing. It's not, it, it's me. I believe, Lord, now help thou mine unbelief. He saw his need for change. He saw that there was a need to have the work of God wrought in his spirit. 
and it took place. The boy was delivered. The devil was handled. Do you see all that? How that all came together? And beloved, very often we think the problem is with all those that are around us. And we think our lives are being hindered because of all those that are around us. We blame the devil. We blame our husband. We blame our wife. We blame our children. We blame the dog. We blame the cat. We blame the birds. We blame everything that is around us for our lack of spirituality because we're not growing in the things of God. But did we ever once stop and think that maybe God our Father... These messages are not popular. I want you to know that. That, that God our Father... Did you, God, our Father, wants to shine the floodlight on our own lives and that He wants to whisper to our hearts, not in a condescending attitude, not with condemnation and not with any type of guilt, but look at it. If we're honest with Him, He'll be honest with us. Won't He? And don't we want Him to be? Absolutely. And you know, He'll speak to our hearts and say, you know what you can do it, son? You know what you can do it, daughter? He'll do that. He'll say, but this is what you need to do, but you can do it. I didn't tell you anything you can't do. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it because I'll empower you to do it. Our greatest conflict, make note of this in your heart and mind, is not with the forces of darkness. It is not with the forces of evil. Our greatest conflict, my brother and sister, is with ourselves. Our greatest conflict and battle in life is with ourselves. We want to remain the way we are, yet we want the blessings of God. We want to stay the same way. We want more of the glory of God. We don't want to put forward effort and energy to change, but we want more healing power, more delivering power, more prosperity, more of all the good blessings of God manifested in our lives. We want to look more like Christ, but we don't want to do what is necessary to obtain the promise. The Apostle Paul said, I travailed for you people to, to, to be born again once. I'm now travailing until Christ be formed in you. Why did Paul have to travail for those people? You want to make another mental note? The only reason why we've got to pray for other people for the most part is because they're too weak to pray for themselves or they're not praying for themselves. Uh-oh. A lot of times that's the truth. So caught up in the uh, uh, circumstances that, that, were, that even the, the uh, ability to pray, to, to pray rather, is, is not there. The initiative to pray is even gone. And we, get, we find ourselves in that particular place of dilemma because, once again, our guard is down and we're not doing certain things that God would have us to do. And yet, thank God, the body of Christ will, will then begin to pray for us and, and uphold us, but, beloved... We still have to do our part. The individual has to do his or her part. We must take our place. We must take our stand. We must do our part. Because, see, these things don't happen automatically. They don't just manifest themselves because we want them to. It's when we recognize the part we have to play in it that things begin to happen. And change begins to occur. And that will happen. And that will occur if, if, if we'll do our part. Now, I want you to turn with me to Mark's Gospel, chapter 8, because there are some things in my heart, as I said, that are standing out right now that are essential to our growth and development as individuals and also as a church body. In Matthew, Mark's Gospel, chapter 8, these scriptures are so important. 
so extremely important. Is your heart crying out after reality with God? Is your heart crying out for change? Are you tired of looking in the mirror and saying, I, I'm just so displeased with my experience in God? Or I feel as though that God is not pleased with me or that I'm not that attractive to God? Well, beloved, then see, the time has come for us to say, well, look, something is wrong then with my Christian experience. I shouldn't be this way. I have to begin doing something. It's necessary that I do something to take the kingdom of force, to experience reality with God in these areas of my life so that I can walk worthy of the Lord and know I'm walking worthy of the Lord and pleasing God in every area of my life. Do you see that? We have got to have that attitude because... Once again, if we don't, we'll be in tremendous conflict with ourselves. And I'm talking about with the habits that we have developed in the flesh. Do you know if you have a battle with your flesh, for the most part, your spirit's going to, you're going to not win the fight? Because the flesh wants to always control. And we're so prone to being dominated by the flesh and our emotional desires that, that spiritual things seem to escape us and become indistinct. Did you know that? See, that's why he's saying we've got to press into that realm. We've got to take action to press into that round so as to experience change in our lives. Otherwise, it's not going to occur. Now, here is how we're going to do it. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 34, when he had called the, disciples, the people unto him, with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, now listen, underline this, let him deny himself. And make note of this. Our move toward God, towards God, involves self-denial. It involves self-denial because self, self-centeredness, selfishness will always hinder our moving toward God. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, it will also keep us blind so that we can't even see our need to move toward God. But if we are going to make any move and any advance toward the things of God, we are in the spirit realm, we are going to have to learn about self-denial. Because as I said, we are more prone to yielding to our, our physical desires, our emotional lusts, than we are to yielding to the things of the Spirit of God. And unless we begin to deny ourselves, as Jesus said, let him deny himself. Let him take up his cross. Let him follow me. And he goes on. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake in the Gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Now, here is the clincher. Whosoever, therefore, shall be ashamed of me and my words. Underline that. Highlight it. Of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation. Of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. If we're going to make any advance toward God and grow into things of God and experience reality with Him, then we're going to have to learn about the life of self-denial and maintain a proper attitude towards the Word of the living God. Why? Because Jesus said here, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And this is how you do it. Don't be ashamed of my words. If you're not ashamed of me, then don't be ashamed of my words. Don't disregard my sayings. 
If you say you love me, you must love my sayings. We cannot separate the living word from the written word. God sent his son. He was the word personified, the word made flesh. This is a revelation of the living word. This is the written word. And we're not to be ashamed of what was spoken and what was written. In other words, our attitude toward the word of God must be proper. And it must be maintained. And it must be accurate and correct. So, number one, if we're going to make any advances toward the things of God, we're going to have to, number one, learn about the, self, the life of self-denial. Why? Because naturally speaking, we're all wanting to please and gratify our, our physical, sensual desires and lusts more so than the things of God. I mean, are you awake out there? I mean... Can you not say, like I said, when you get up in the morning, the first thing you want to do is take care of your body, not be concerned about the things of God. You go throughout the course of the day, if there's a problem or an occurrence or whatever, the first thing you want to do is is be concerned about your hurt, your feelings, and, and, and everything else. You're not concerned about getting on your knees and on your face before God and, and getting into the Word of God. Your flesh doesn't want to do those things. Nobody's flesh wants to do those things. As a matter of fact, to be quite frank about it, and see, people think that preachers are different. No, when I get up in the morning, I have a halo over my head. I sprout wings like an angel. Oh, and I'm t- my feet don't hit the ground before the Bible is open to Mark eleven twenty three, And I'm just quoting my scriptures. And when my wife says, would you like some toast for breakfast? I say, no, I'm fasting. And I fall to my knees. But honey, I made you your, your, your pasta vazul for supper. I'm so sorry. It will not touch my lips. It will never touch my lips. But there's Italian bread to go with it. It matters not, honey. It matters not. It matters not. No. I am spiritual. Wake up, everybody. <laughs> Usually it's like this. I'll tell on myself. If I say, honey, I'd like to spend some time in fasting and prayer, she, she think, my wife doesn't like to see me not eat. Okay? That's just the way she is. She's that type of person. She makes, makes sure, you know, you're supposed to eat. So if I tell her I'm going to, you know, maybe spend some time before the Lord or whatever, she makes my favorite food. <laughs> now, you talk about a battle. You talk about a struggle. She, ma- she makes sure she makes my favorite food. And the moment I walk in, the, the aroma just, you know. And of course, as I told you, I'm just ultra spiritual. I just clog up those nostrils. I don't smell anything. You know, spiritual plugs. Now, come on, let's get real, people. My flesh is like your flesh, and your flesh is like my flesh. And the reason why I'm speaking this to you, because I know how it is with me too. Nobody enjoys fasting and praying. Nobody enjoys putting under the flesh and controlling the emotional desires that we have. No one said that we would enjoy it. Our greatest conflict is with ourselves. Do you see that? 
our greatest conflict and battle is with self. Deny yourself. Because if we don't live a life of daily surrender to God, do you know what Paul said? Paul said, I don't know about you, and I'm paraphrasing. But I'm not one who's running to lose the race. I'm not one who's fighting to beat the air. He said, I want to obtain the crown, and therefore I have to daily buffet my body. Come on now, Apostle Paul. You... You wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. You have to daily surrender your body and faculty members to God. Why? Lest I become a castaway, a reprobate. You mean those things existed in the Apostle Paul? Yeah. What about Elijah? He can call fire out of heaven, but he ran from a Jezebel. Big man of God. Come on. Samson, oh, he can kill the thousands, but not Delilah. Come on. Now, I know that David, you can't say anything about David. He's a man after God's own heart. Give him a few years. Come on. When he found Bathsheba. Let's find out where the man's heart's at. What are you saying? What I'm saying, your greatest conflict is with your own flesh. With your own self. With myself. The thing that's going to stop us from going in God and making advances in the kingdom of God and experiencing more reality with the living God is not demon forces. The thing is our own flesh. That's what it is. Because there is a... There, there is a tremendous battle between, the Bible says, the flesh and the spirit. Did you know that? And the mind is the battleground. Until we begin to flood our minds with the, with the word of God and the life of God begins to take control up here in the mind. You know what? Then the flesh to the unrenewed mind will keep our spirit in bondage. But when we begin to feed our spirit with the word of God and renew our mind to the word of God and begin to act accordingly, then the spirit with the renewed mind will hold the body in bondage. And that is a daily conflict. It is a daily warfare. It is a daily buffeting of our, our bodies to do what? To set aside our own emotional feelings and desires. To align ourselves with what thus saith the Lord. And that's why Jesus said, If you're ashamed of me and my words in the sinful and adulterous generation. Now, there's something I want to bring out along these lines. And, and when I do this, please understand. These are touchy things, but please understand. Wherever you're at right now, I am not referring to you and... In your life, wherever you're right now and the things that you've done in your life, that's between you and God. But I believe I have to speak what God's word says. And so I want you to turn me to first Corinthians chapter seven so I can further enable us to see what God means and what God says about us honoring his word here upon this earth. Because I see this happening in the body of Christ. And I'll be quite frank about it. It's alarming to me because there is a mentality that exists in, in, in the minds of a lot of people that is really in rebellion Against the word of God. And we, we have got to realize, beloved, that we're in conflict. We're in warfare with our own emotional lusts and desires. And all the devil is doing is just speaking some things that really agree with what we want in the flesh and not in the spirit. And then we start yielding those things and do those things because in reality, that's what we want for our lives. And that's what we think is best. But you know what? God doesn't see it that way. And God doesn't want it that way. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me and my words... While you live here upon this earth in this sinful and adulterous generation, he says, I'll be ashamed of you when I come 
in the glory of my Father. Now, isn't that strong? I said, isn't that strong? That's strong, isn't it? Okay. Now, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and let's see what he's talking about here. In this chapter, look at verse 10. But unto the merit I command, yet not I, but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband. But if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and let not the husband put away his wife. Now, let's stop there. He's speaking to the married, and he commands and says, Let not the wife put away her husband, or depart from her husband, or put her away, or divorce. But if she depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. Do you know, we're living in a day and an age right now that people are not honoring what God said in these situations. They're not doing what God said do. And we've warred with this. I've been to meetings where people have taken these scriptures and, and this, this text, and they've, I mean, they've, they've chewed it up and spit it, they've done everything with these particular verses. What do they mean? You know what? And finally you conclude you've got a thousand and one different interpretations about what, Jesus, what, what is being said here about this. And I think Jesus made it very clear. He said, look, go back to the beginning and find out what God said it was all about. That when two people come together, become one. God meant it for an eternity. Say amen or oh my. Now, that's what Jesus said. He didn't argue with them on the law. He went right back to the beginning and said, that's the way God said it should be. All right? But now listen. Because of our own feelings, emotional desires, and I'm not saying there are not legitimate cases where divorce is, you know, biblical. I'm not saying that. There are certain causes and cases and that sort of thing. But I'm talking about a mentality that exists today in which we live that says, well, look, if she burns the toast, just go ahead. Did she burn the toast? What do you think Jesus meant when he said this sinful and adulterous generation? Okay, now listen. If you're ashamed of me and my words in this sinful and adulterous generation, I'll be ashamed of you when I come in, in the glory of my Father. Now, that's his word. That's what he said. And you say, well, what, will you, what do you say to people? I'll be quite frank about it. This is what I say to people from now on. If you're two born-again believers out there and you're having problems and difficulties in your marital relationship, do you know what? This is what God said. Let them not depart, but work out their problems in the love of God. And each one should know that that's their responsibility to do that. You know what else? If you would depart, remain single and work toward reconciliation. Because that's what the Word of God says. Oh, now, brother, but you don't understand. Well, you know what? I I have to say I do understand. God's Word said do it that way. And God's Word, as far as I'm concerned, we shouldn't be ashamed of. Come on now, say amen or oh my. We should not be ashamed of the word of God. And I began to shudder as I read that scripture over. And he actually said, if you're ashamed of me and my words, and when I come, I'll be ashamed. How are you going to interpret that? I'll tell you what, I don't know. <laughs> to be quite frank about it, it's strong enough to tell me that he'll be ashamed. If we disregard his word and take it so lightly that we can do things in defiance and rebellion like that. Can you see that? And then just go on, beloved, we, we better take another look because we're living in, a, in an age right now where the spirit of the world is dominating the minds of the people of God. And it's almost as if it doesn't matter how we view what the scriptures teach and how we view what the word of God says. And people are even writing books about it now that it doesn't matter. God's going to, it doesn't matter what you do. I don't believe any of that. I believe that two born again Christians that are spirit filled people 
that have come together by the power of God have a responsibility to God and to each other to work out their difficulties in the marital relationship. And if they choose not to do that, they can. And if they choose to go to the step of divorce, they can. But you know what? They should remain single and work toward reconciliation. And what I see going on and happening is that people don't do that. The, the moment that they, if they were, were to get divorced, whatever, it's just to go in their own separate ways and that's all there is to it. And they get, you know, to re, either remarry or whatever as quickly as they possibly can. As I said, I'm not speaking to anybody. I'm speaking what, what God is, is, is revealing to me about what is happening in the day in which we live. Because that's not the only area where people are, are disregarding the Word of God. It's not the only area. But it's one that stuck out because... It's part of what he meant when he said it's a sinful and an adulteress. Jesus said, look, you're going to cause them to commit adultery. And that's what they were doing at that time. They were, they were breaking up relationships and homes for any reason. And they were living in a sinful and an adulterous generation. And he said, you're ashamed of me in my words. But that's what I said to do. And you're not doing it. I think it's time that we begin to wake up and rise up in our understanding and mentality that, you know what, this is not a game that we're playing. We're not toying with things. Our eternity is being targeted. And you know what? The decisions that we make to either disregard or regard the Word of God is going to affect us in one way or another. Now, I'm not saying that that's the unpardonable sin. That is not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is, I'm, I, I know I'm not pleased. I know God's not pleased with the mentality that is existing within the body of Christ regarding this subject in the day in which we live. God's not pleased with it because he said, do it this way. And I would say, I'd venture to say that if it goes the first step like divorce, many are not even concerned about the second step, reconcile. Do you see that? I mean, come on, speak out. But people need to be aware of the fact that Jesus said, look, if you're if you're not concerned about me and my words in this sinful and in adulterous generation, I'll be ashamed of you when I come. As I said before, there are certain situations that are accurate according to the Bible where divorce is, is biblical. And I'm not referring to that. You know, and I'm not condescending or, or looking down upon anybody that has done that. But what I am saying is from this point here right now, we need to be more, have more of the fear of God. We need to have more of the fear of God regarding the things He said about life. About relationships. And as I said, I'm not just talking about that one right there. We've got to start doing something about change in our own lives so that we avoid things like that. We've got to start working towards change. What about this one? Don't let bitterness spring up in your heart and trouble you. And yet we disregard that. So many disregard that. And they become bitter toward people. And they don't know why things are happening in their system and, and, and they're, they're poison. There's poison flowing through their system. And they're having this difficulty in ulcers and physical problems. He said that poison will spring up inside you and trouble you. Make note of this, will you? When we disregard the word of God, it produces heart trouble. Heart trouble. What do you mean heart trouble? Beloved, we can't kid ourselves. Every time we disregard God's word and do things, act in defiance of the word of God, it produces heart trouble. A condition in the heart that takes us further from God. 
that makes us easier, makes it easier for us to disobey God. That makes faith more difficult to obtain and maintain. And the more we continue disregarding the Word of God, the less we are going to change from glory to glory. Jesus said it must be number two things, a life of self-denial and a life of holding the Word of God in high esteem. Where we deny what we want or what's best for us according to our emotional picture and start wanting to honor God's Word and not be guilty of bringing reproach to the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I know this is tough, but you know what, beloved? We need to get tough. I said we need to get tough in the day in which we live. We need to get tough. And we need to get violent, too. We need to show integrity, too. We need to be tenacious. We need to get serious. We need to begin crying out of the depth of our soul to obtain reality with God. We need to begin denying ourselves the privilege of being dominated by our emotional desires and lusts and things we think are right for our lives and start looking to what God said. And you know what? No matter how much pain it causes Did you hear that? Us. Do it. No matter how much we dislike it in the flesh, do it. Are you getting this? As I said, these these teachings are not popular. Because, see, they don't tickle our ears. But I tell you what, the, the word will serve as a sword that will cut. Yes, we can use it against the devil, but you know what? It also cuts the flesh. And it hurts. It's painful. As I said, it'll expose our faults. Nothing is hidden. Everything is naked before the eyes of whom with, with, with whom we have to do, which is the word that exposes us to ourselves and, and, and to God. It's painful. But I tell you what, if, unless you're satisfied where you're at, you know, then you'll be with me and you want to go further in God. And if you want to go further in God, I'm telling you right now, you're going to have to have pain. Did you hear me? You're going to have to have pain. Because there's some things about your life and my life that I'm going to have to look in the mirror of God's Word and say, you know what? I'm not making it right there. And before it's too late and we start getting further away from God, we're going to have to rise up and say, no matter how much it's going to cause pain in my life, And maybe how much I want to ignore that flaw that I have, that character flaw, you know, that I've not dealt with. I remember talking to somebody about about that, someone close to me about that. It's easy to see someone else's character flaws. And that person says to me, I just can't change. That's just the way I am. And kept on saying, that's just the way I am. I can't change. And all these years have gone by and I've not seen any growth in God whatsoever. And you know what? Until that person says, you know what? My chemistry or my physical makeup tells me I can't change. But Philippians 4.13 tells me that God will infuse inner strength into my being, making me equal to any task. I'm, stopped, I'm, not, I'm going to stop this toying with the things of God. I'm going to start realizing that God does not just want newborn babes. 
God does not just want newborn babes. You ready for this? What does He want? Christ to be formed in us. We've been born again, but He wants Christ formed in us. And Paul travailed for it. And it's time we begin to get on our faces before God so that we can have it for ourselves. Yes, it is a life of self-denial because self doesn't want to grow. Self doesn't want to serve God. Self doesn't want to make sacrifice. Self does not want to surrender. You ever find yourself going to God in prayer and saying, Father God, forgive me for speaking about Joe and Mary and John and all. I said all these different things I should have said and blah, 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 blah. You know, that tongue of mine is just so long I can eat supper from the living room, you know. Did you ever do that? Oh, what kind of a night is this anyhow? <laughs> Have you ever done that? And you said, now, Lord, I just thank you for forgiving me. I'm not going to talk about anybody anymore. You know, and then phone rang. Mm, boy, this is a good opportunity. And before you knew it, you blurted out 47 things that you shouldn't have said. And then realized, oh, I just asked the Lord to forgive me for all that. Hmm. That's what I mean about toying with the things of God. Never learning, never come to knowledge of the truth, never doing anything about change. We know the right things, we can say the right things, we can, we can make the right confessions of our sins. But that's toying. Are you with me tonight? What is being said tonight is time to stop toying with these things of God. And it's time to get down to serious business And let those who want to be counted stand up and say, here I am, Lord. I want to be that vessel of honor. I want to be that channel of your power. And I'm willing to do what is necessary for me to be that person. It's time for me to take my bold stand and to do my part and to put away those things so that I can change and be what you want me to be. I said it's not popular. It's going to cause pain. Oh, does it cause pain like a cutting in your, inside you? But you know what, beloved? You may want to throw tomatoes at me tonight. But I guarantee you in glory, you'll say thank you. Not because of me, but because of being obedient to say what God would have me to say. And it's not, as I said, my intention to use any of these things to put anybody in guilt and condemnation. But you know what? If you're out there right now and you're two two married couples that are out there, you're you're both born again. You know what? Then take heed to what you heard tonight. Because down the road four or five years from now, when maybe you encounter some kind of storm in your marital relationship, do you know the easiest thing for you to do is to say, well, I'm going my way and I'm going my way. Did you know that? And do you know that if two Christians don't work together at their marriage, they're going to be going that way and that way. You know, I mean, while they're living under that roof. But then the time may come, they may just decide, well, I'm just going to go all the way that way because I'm tired of living like this. Well, beloved, listen, it's time to do something now. It's time to make necessary adjustments and changes right now and make decisions right now about marriage and about what your convictions are. And I like to get a hold of people before they ever get married and tell some of you young people out there, you're not married. Yet. You know what? You know what? You make sure that if you're not ready to make a commitment for eternity, don't get married. You're not marriageable. If you cannot commit your love and your life to somebody forever, unconditionally, 
you are not ready to make the most important, one of the most, second most important commitment in your life. That's first your life to Christ and then to your mate upon this earth. You're not ready for it. That's the truth. You say, that sounds like the old school. They had some good logic back then. Come on now. They had some good principles to live by. Because they're biblical. So let's not get caught up in the spirit of the age and think that God has made an escape clause for marriage for believers. Because He has not. I said that there are those that are legitimate, but we're not referring to those. We're referring to those decisions that are made just because, well, I like to have my freedom or I'd like to do what I want to do, you know, with my life. And God will forgive me, so it doesn't matter. I'll go my way and blah, blah, blah. None of that is biblical. And it's time that we begin to wake up and rise up and recognize we shouldn't do it. And then even though it may hurt you and you may have to undergo all kind of change in your life, you know what? Do it. Do it. And take that and take all the other teachings of the Lord. And I'll tell you what, if we spent just a little bit of time before the presence of God in surrender of ourselves and our commitment to Him, you know, I, I guarantee you, if we just started working on ourselves, there'd never be any fights in the body of Christ. We'd be so occupied with ourselves in changing ourselves, we'd never see anybody else's faults or failures and shortcomings. Did you know that? Can you say amen? Come on. It's the truth. There wouldn't be any more talk about anybody because you know why? You couldn't get past talking about yourself. Thou that sayest you shouldn't do this, do you do it? That's what the Bible says. Come on now. That's why I got you charged up. I knew you'd get like this after a while. (laughs) Do we have a minute here? Oh, we've got five. Look out. God's formula for change is found in 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves, self-denial, one cannot humble another. One must humble himself. If we want change, this is God's recipe, God's formula for change, God's formula for growth, God's formula for reality. It works in every case. God's formula for healing relationships. God's formula for putting marriages back together and restoration. God's formula for anything and everything that we need in our individual lives to grow in God. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray. And that's not something that we want to do. We're full of pride. We want to do what we want to do. Beloved, we don't know the depth of pride. We don't know the definition of pride. We don't know how much pride we have in us. Did you know that? We don't even see it in ourselves. But we're full of it, every one of us. And that's why God says we've got to humble ourselves and get on our faces. And one act of it was get on your face before the Lord and begin to pray. And do what? And seek my face. And that's what Jesus meant back there when he said, follow me, seek my face. And then do what? Turn from your wicked ways. Turn from doing things your own way. See, if we'll do that, Father God, I've got to humble myself because, come on now, am I the only one? Do you see things in your own life that you need to change? Come on now, be honest. And you want change. And you know you should change. And you've warred with that thing. And let's not, let's not beat around the bush. You've warred with that sin. Over and over and over and over again. Haven't you? But there seems to be no victory. 
If my people, which are called by my name, would humble themselves. Do you see the first step? It takes an act of humility to start being serious about it and get before God with it and stay before God with it in prayer, seeking His face and then turning from it. Then He said, I'll hear from heaven. I'll forgive them. And I'll heal. Oh, and only God can do it. He's the only one that could make the healing adjustment inside of us to make us look more attractive to each other, to make us look more attractive to Himself, to bring relationships back together again. Only God can do it, beloved. But as we move toward God in this action, you see that He moves now back on us. And he, he moves again. And we continue staying before Him. He moves and the action of His Spirit causes change to take place in our lives. And I want to close with a scripture here in Second Chronicles chapter 33. If you'll turn there quickly with me. I want to show you the, the power of humility and what it can do to the heart of a man. Oh, so much is exposed when a heart becomes humble before God. So much is exposed. David was a man after God's own heart, but his heart began to drift away from the Lord. Did you know that? Because he wanted to satisfy and gratify his own, the pleasure of his own flesh. And as he did that, he, he began to drift away from the Lord. I, I, that doesn't seem feasible. How can someone do that who's a man after God's own heart? Beloved, he's human. A human being, we're all human. We're all capable of drifting away without even knowing it. Letting things slip without even realizing it. Because of negligence. But listen. When that happens, if we'll just follow God's recipe and formula and humble ourselves, this is what happened. Manasseh in verse 1 was 12 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 50 and 5 years in Jerusalem. But did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, likened to the abominations of the heathen, whom the, the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. For he built again the high places which Hezekiah his father had broken down. And he reared up altars for Balaam and, and made groves and worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. Also he built altars in the house of the Lord, whereof the Lord had said, In Jerusalem shall my name be forever. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. He caused his children to pass through the fire, sacrificed even children in the valley of the son of Hinnon. And also he observed times and used enchantments and used witchcraft and dealt with the familiar spirit with wizards. He wrought much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger, set a carved image, the idol which he had made in the house of God, of which God said to David and to Solomon, his son, in this house in Jerusalem, which I have chosen before all the tribes of Israel, will I put my name forever. Neither will I any more remove the foot of Israel from off the land, which I have appointed for your fathers, so that they will take heed to do all that I have commanded them according to the whole law and statutes and ordinances that by the hand of Moses. So Manasseh made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem err and do worse than the heathen whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. He had the people of God doing worse than the heathen. Imagine that. And the Lord spake to Manasseh and to his people, but they would not hearken. Wherefore the Lord brought upon the captains of the host of the king of Syria, which took Manasseh among the thorns and bound him with fetters and carried him to Babylon. And when he was in affliction, he besought the Lord his God. He humbled himself. How? Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus. 
come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.